Podcast, a podcast offering you discussions and tutorials about nerdy subjects for people who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today, myself, is your nerdy tutor, and with me here today, as always, is my mom. Hi. So, we finished Star We finished Star Wars. It was a long month of Star Wars. So many <laughs> things in Star Wars. Uh, it, was, it was fun, though. I got to re-review re, uh, the... I got to see movies I hadn't seen, and I got to review the ones that, that I had. So that was fun. So what's interesting here this week is we're watching... Is that we'll be working on Gundam, which is almost in a lot of ways, pays a lot of homage to Star Wars in some cases. Okay. Um, so this will be interesting because we're going to do three episodes on Gundam. We're going to do our traditional tutorial and review, and then we're also going to talk about Gunpla, which I have yours right here. Okay. This is a um, very basic original Gundam, although it's got the modern kinks to it because they've redesigned it a couple times. And this is a model kit. This is a model kit like you would be like your traditional like cars or airplanes back in the day. Yeah. But this one you can pose. It comes with cool weapons. So it's all. articulated. Very articulated. Okay. So we're going to build one on uh, We're going to go ahead and build one, you know, live on in person when we do it. Okay. So there's that. Uh-huh. Um, this one's actually kind of cool because it even comes with a cool little exoskeleton in, in its center. So, <laughs> that is cool. So um, so this one will be fun and interesting to build. Okay. Um, but to talk about Gundam, we got to first talk about, you know, um, another topic here, which is the robot and mecha genre of Japanese animation in general. Now, now when we talked about animation, we did I did watch some, some mech... That's right, you did. Uh, I did. That's a good question. Which ones did you watch? Um, it was really interesting because um, it was interesting to see how they, how they, the, how the people inhabit the bodies. If, if I, I, I'm probably not explaining that well. No, no. I'm, one of the more interesting elements of. Um, how, how do I put this here? One of the more interesting elements of giant mech shows is that um, in the later genres of uh, of it is that um, you're not actually really um, watching for the robots. You're watching for the characters, more or less, the people yeah. that are in the robots, uh, first and foremost. It's very rare that in a lot of cases you'll watch um, some other... You'll watch uh, a show... Um, necessarily about the tools in the world. I mean, unless the world's kind of interesting. I find that to be a lot with Shonen series tend to have uh -huh. very interesting worlds. Uh, but the mech series you watched was a, was a Gundam show, was Iron Blood and Orphans. I believe it was the second season at least. Mm -hmm. um, and Gundam is um, in that genre. Um, it's a very well known for its white robots with this V crest on its head. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got a couple other tropes in here. But before we even talk about that, we talked about this with my younger brother when we did Mech Anime uh -huh. way back ago. But um, to get us started, we have to talk about two different types of robot series. One of them is the Super Robo or Giant Robo series, also known as Super Robot or Giant Robot as well. Okay. They're kind of somewhat interchangeable. And then what Gundam created, which was the real robot genre. So, if you go back in time to the 70s, robot shows were very popular because you didn't have to do a whole lot of animation for them, especially when it comes to the faces, because a lot of animation really takes place in the face. 
Um, and they were. Oh, that's true. Yeah, if if the greatest example of this is actually um, Hanna Barbera, which was one of the first set of people that really figured out that you don't have to that you can reuse the same body poses, walk animations, run animations, and things like that, but you just have to change up the face ever so slightly. Um, and so if you go back in time to a lot of uh, Scooby-Doo in particular, you notice that it's the exact same run cycle, the exact same poses, you know, Daphne always has kind of her hips out of the way, Velma always stands a certain way, Shaggy's always got a slunch. I actually Fred... can see the stands as you're, as you're saying that, yeah, I can and, see that in my head. And then if you also remember, you can imagine everyone's run cycle as they're running, they always yeah. run the exact same way. And for Hanna-Barbera, that was a way of saving money, because if you could reuse the same things over and over again, you could create a lot of shows, you know, without having to spend a whole lot of money on it. And that's how Hanna-Barbera was able to generate um, a lot of uh, cartoons that way. Um, there's a great little video about it um, on The Escapist uh, from a guy who does stuff, from a guy named Movie Bob who has a bit on Yogi's tie. Because if you, because the tie is what differentiates the body from the rest of the head, right. so you can animate the rest of the body and have a clear point where there's no neck involved. Yep. So that's why you. That's where you also get a lot of like Fred and Barney suddenly. You know, you know, Wilma has this like you know pearl necklace, rock necklace. Yes. Same yeah. thing with um, Betty. Um, you look again. It's a lot of reasons why a lot of characters back in the day had you know ties like that. You know, neck ties or things like that. That's. Wow. Never realized. We, well, we know of it nowadays. We know it as flash animation, where flash animation does a lot of the same similar stuff, um, where each individual part of the body is separated and then reused in a lot of cases. So talking looks similar and moves and poses look similar. And so you could literally animate the head in one scene, but then still keep animating the body. Uh, South Park got away with this for a long time as well, too, where they were just animating... They literally just had six different mouth flaps for the for the mouth, and the body would just move in the exact same way. Uh, it wasn't until later incarnations of Flash and Maya that they started changing it up a little bit more. But so, so is far, that what separates Disney animation from other other types? Initially, initially yeah, because Disney actually ad went through the process of animating everything. Um, you it would be you'd be somewhat hard pressed to go back in time. Um, to even like their um, their TV offerings and like Ducktales and uh, Tailspin and stuff like that um, to find where they're reusing animation at all. Well, I, I took a tour of the um, Disney Disney um, animation thing at the Presidio. Yes, and they they actually explained that mm -hmm. that that was that that, that uh, there were rules that you didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, and, but again, I mean, like each thing has a cell. Yeah. But for when Hanna Barbera was back in the '60s, and well, they're early doing 70s. cheap things for for mass production for television. For children, primarily, and children's television yeah. was very easy to do as well. Yeah. Um, actually, in, in memory here, the Flintstones were actually a sitcom meant for adults. That they got, were on prime time. They eventually got parodied down to children because they were cartoons, and children would watch cartoons. They were they were part of a, a bookend thing that had the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. And there's a great crossover movie between the two of them eventually at a later point in time, I think in the late 80s, early 90s. So, yeah, they exist. Um, but again, like, robots, robot animation, especially in Japan, was kind of the deal. Um, a common animation trait is to um, animate on, if you have 24 frames 
per mm-hmm. minute. If you have like 24 frames per minute, a big thing to do is to uh, animate on every like three to four frames. That's uh, three to frames is three frames is about Disney standard. Four, five to six is uh, Hanna Barbera standard. Japanese animation was often on every eight frames. Ooh. One, yeah. So okay, it's why in a lot of like older anime that they're either very stylized and they have a certain movement about themselves that seems kind of exaggerated Slow motion or yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean i can visualize some of the what i would think of as sort of slow-mo that yeah like happens. if you remember like speed racer and a couple yeah. others they had this very yeah. kind of long sweeping movements sort of yeah. and everything's very exaggerated almost to kind of sell it more and that was why. that was okay. yeah so the, there was a logic and rationale behind it but it made him put out a lot of easy stuff and yeah. mecha anime was one of those easy stuff um, but we can describe the two shows where we get to real rec- mecha, where we get to real robots or real mecha versus giant robo, uh, giant robots or super robot series. Mm-hmm. In the same way, we kind of describe Star Wars and Star Trek, okay. where Star Wars doesn't necessarily go through a lot of process of explaining how everything is. It just is. Like, how did the Emperor come back? He just did. He did. Yeah. There's not a rational or logic for it, even though. Trust me, me and fans are trying to find the rationale and logic for it. Um, how how <laughs> they does shouldn't have done it? How does hyperspace work? You know how do how do lightsabers work? Like none of this is defined absolutely. Um, you know, it's more fa- it's a more fantastical universe than necessarily a realistic universe. Um, as where Star Trek does try to pay does try to explain where stuff comes from. Yeah, and they do go through the process of trying to explain. You know, how does our engines work? Oh, there's the special crystals that that do it, and oh, why 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 are there a bunch of starships? Oh, because we have a military because of a, you know, doctrine because of X, Y, and Z. There's a structure to all this. Well, uh, and and the thing that brought that home for me mm-hmm. actually was Galaxy Quest. Yes, because Galaxy Quest was was, was something where where another life form based their. Um, their their ship yeah. on the TV show essentially, and how it operated and how everything worked. And then the great scene where they try to get to the self to the to stop the self destruct button is literally like this labyrinthian sort of thing, and they built it out like it was in the show, not actually ever thinking about it. Yeah, it just stops it. Yeah, yeah. It just makes perfect it, again, and and Galaxy Quest is such a great parody of what you know star trek was back in the day so it's it's excellent it's it i i haven't watched it recently but i'm sure it holds up just as well much. it it does and and to me it's 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 beaming up the guagnot <laughs> pig thing yeah yeah um so yeah so that's really kind of the differentiation before we had gundam we had real robot series which were you know, they were a little bit all over the map, not really sort of any logic to them. Again, the changing uni- change the universe around for everything. Um, and Gundam came along in 1978, shortly after Star Wars did in 1977. Oh. And that's where we, that's where you start seeing more light, sa- where you see the lightsabers were in Gundam, they're known as beam sabers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also see kind of if you um, look at the oh, Gundam. Oh, that's true. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at my Gundam model here with its beam saber. And then if you also know, notice the head. Does it kind of remind you of Vader by chance? Oh wow! Oh, that's true. So, um, and actually, the Gundam here, this uh, the original RX seventy eight two Gundam, is actually known as the White Devil. Ooh. 
Well, because it, be, because it has kind of a pair of horns, kind of. He kind of has like a pair of horns on there. Um, it's also just, you know, by the end of the series, its pilot is well known for defeating everybody and just causing mass chaos on the battlefield because it's so so much more powerful than everybody else. So, um, but no, 1978 comes around and we get Gundam with one of the most hilarious openings ever. It's like, you know, it's to listen to, listen to it now is hilarious in some cases. Um, but oddly enough, when the first series came out in 1978, it actually got canceled at 39 episodes. Oh, why? Because it wasn't that popular. popular. No, again, it's, it's doing something new at the end of the day here, too, where it's treating the giant robot series as a... Um, as, as, as if it could exist in, real, in the real world. So um, I'll paint the picture for you. And so, um, so in this Gundam universe, we're in the Universal Century... Um, I believe we're at the year 77 here, or 78 of the Universal Century. Okay. 78 years prior, um, Earth had decided that they were going to unite together and build colonies in space, and the ushering of the Universal Century was their declaration of the, uh, of the space noids, as they're now called, of the building colonies in space, because Earth is obviously getting too overpopulated. Yeah, so. it's getting crowded. Um so come the time of the of uh, Universal Seven, Universal Century, what we call zero zero seven eight, just as an easy moniker for it, um, you have two forces that are kind of out there in the universe. Here you have the uh, space. Oh, is that, that's why it's RX seven eight. Yeah, I'm slow. Okay. No, it's okay. Um, RX meaning prototype, and then number okay. two meaning the second series in this prototype. Uh, but seventy eight denoting the year. kind of the year, but also yeah. Okay, got it. Um, in this timeline here, the space noids have not been well represented by Earth by the Earth noids, who basically rule over them, regardless of the fact that they're, you know, in space. You know, they're not. You know, they have no control over what Earth does, but Earth controls a lot of their resources and operations. Access at the to it. things. Yeah. yeah, and the space noids don't like this, and they've recently had a guy who named. Uh, uh, Zeon, which is the last name, I okay. can't. Be, uh, I'm not good with the first name because I can't pronounce it properly. Okay. Um, well, should, suffice it to say, Japanese. Okay, makes uh, sense. Yeah, Japanese weird names. Um, butchering of English and other languages to get there. Okay. Um, he get, so he's actually trying to unite the space noids under like a union ship almost like you would in a in a union for like a walmart or your or your local oh hotel. So, so okay so he's so not, not so yeah. yeah so he's not he's not preaching uh violence at all he's actually against violence but um some of his fellow advisors think no we need to fight against the earth noids because this is ridiculous and the space noids have actually been developing humanoid robots um that are meant to take out battle carriers for the Earth, because they've got a lot of Earth's got a lot of battle carriers, but um, the space knights have these mobile suits, which have helped them to build their colonies and build their structures. Well, they've decked them out for war, and so now they can and they can fight on equal terms with the space cruisers from Earth. So, a battle carrier is a spaceship. A spaceship, is, okay. as as we'll call it here. So it's okay. a it's a, a big base ship, a big one. Think like a like your average destroyer size. Yeah. Or your yeah. aircraft carrier, right. even. So, okay. But in space. Okay. Um, and so um, they don't go to war just yet. So the Xeon, this Xeon guy actually gets 
assassinated and he gets put up as a martyr for the cause and they named the cause Zeon and um, it's got a bit of a fascist sort of Nazi looking tendencies okay um, just in the uniform again like Japanese people like the look of the Nazi sort of stuff like I don't understand why but they're not as embroiled in the history of it as other people as we would be here in America so not a lot of Japanese Jews no no and no <laughs> I mean, even somebody, but again, I mean, remember to them, their highest form of sexuality is also the Playboy Bunny. Well, no, and no, it's and and I have to say, in, having been there, they're they're the nicest. Oh no, they're the yeah. absolute nicest people, and I yeah. don't believe that. So, I, and I think the other thing that we lose with time is that you're only thirty years removed from World War Two at the time, you know, mm-hmm. thirty and change. Yeah, um, it isn't that long ago. No, so. Um, but it's, mo- it's also those kind of the most iconic sort of element too. If you're going to say bad guy Nazi, yeah. So, um, so the guy. So we get. So the chairman Zenon gets killed, and the new chairman takes his place, and basically decides we're going to war with the Earthnoids. And so, when we get to the point of the start of the series, uh, the Spacenoids have been rather victorious in trying to protect their lands and make sure that they can separate from the earth but obviously earth won't do that because it's their they th- they consider the colonies their property um and one of their colonies it's kind of an unaffiliated colony they've been developing this rx series of new giant robots for the earth federation at this point and this is where we get to the gundam okay the gundam is piloted by a, by a gentleman named armoro ray we'll just we'll just call him ray for the for the time okay. being um, his, his father is the one who helped develop the technology. He accidentally and unknowingly helped develop the operating system for the Gundam. Oh. And so over the course of the entire series, he ends up un, unwillingly, he becomes the pilot for the Gundam. Now there's a carrier known as the White Base, kind of looks like a Pegasus almost, um, that was supposed to collect the RX series of machines to uh, take back to Earth so they could, re- they could see how it works see the testbed for it and remake their own machines but unfortunately the crew of the pegasus gets attacked by a fleet of zeon stuff that's come out find out that they're there the zeon people are trying to take the gundam for themselves because they think hey look a cool new machine maybe we can copy its designs as well and armoro ray ends up uh piloting it and fends off the uh, zeon people initially and the only reason he keeps piloting it is that the colony itself gets destroyed it's, it becomes uninhabitable, and so he ends up saving a lot of his friends and a lot of other people from the colony who get who get onto the white base. And so the white base is intent on going back to Earth to bring the Gundam back to the Earth Earth sphere so they could rebuild it and, and test and figure it out. But along the way, they're being chased by Zeon forces. Okay, so so they've they've rounded up the. Survi- survivors okay. of the colony of the colony and they're they're going to rehab them well they're they're on the ship which was kind of like their last choice vessel okay ha- most of them happen to be some of them have to be family members or friends of armor array at this point okay um and so the ship is basically doesn't even have a captain anymore it's actually piloted by a lieutenant who just happened to be the only remaining officer on the ship Okay. And his duty and his job, as he understands it, is to get back to Earth to deliver the Gundam. 
regardless whether... And mind you, his crew is also pretty well depleted as well because a lot of them died in that attack. So the yeah. crew, so these survivors are kind of helping out at the same time. They're filling jobs on the ship that of either engineers or cooks or, you know, even officers on the on the uh, bridge in some cases. Because, again, these are kids who were in a facility who... These are teenagers and students who were in a developmental class that were eventually two pilots in, in you they know, were yeah. and other stuff. You know, engineers and stuff like that. Um, so the entire series primarily is about Earth getting the... the in the storyline, it's about Armoro Ray having to pilot the Gundam because he's the only one who can. Mm-hmm. And the one who understands it and is piloted enough to do it. And he mostly to protect his friends and the other people on the white base. He doesn't want to be in the war. He's got no vested interest in Xeon versus the Earth Federation. He just kind of really wants to be left alone. Uh-huh. But he doesn't get a choice. He's being sucked into this fight. And he's the only one who... that If he doesn't pilot the Gundam... Zeon will take over the ship, probably kill him and his friends, and still take off with the Gundam anyways. So he's in there to save his friends for the most part. And along the way, he's chased by his rival, which is Char Aznable. He's got a um, very Darth Vader sort of looking head as well. It's got its own little crest on the top. He's always wearing red. It's his color. It's his color, okay. So he's known as the Crimson, he's known as the Red Comet. So, so since these things originate in Japan, and the Red Ranger is like the, the the leader, yeah, the lead ranger. What is it with red? It's um, red like is a very. When we were in Japan, how often did you see the color red? A lot. Yeah, it's a very noticeable color. It's a very distinct color. It's almost as if we didn't see it somewhere. Like we would feel odd for it not being there. But it's also kind of where we saw a lot of the history and stuff and that. Well, you saw a lot of orange with the with the Tory gates and things like that. Mm-hmm. That were, yeah. I think it's I think it's intentional to kind of just be, you know, red that signifies is very easy to see on television. It's very distinctive. Okay. Um, especially when you consider that for 1978 animation, you're in a blackish sort of very dark navy blue with a little bit of star background that's kind of moving around something that's bright red almost pinkish almost versus something that's white stands out a lot better than something that might be like a a navy blue or green sort of thing yeah a lot of the other units are navy blue because or bluish in the hue because they blend in with the space so they're almost camouflaging a little bit okay but the white gundam versus this giant red robot that's similar look would stand out Yeah. yeah So, um, that's, so these are some of the more common themes as an example that there's always a char adsable. He's always, there's some variation on this and you'll see this when we're, uh, when we're watch when you're watching Gundam Unicorn, you'll mm-hmm. actually see this in person. Okay. And, um, while we're doing in, so you'll see that there's always somebody either in red or got a mask on. He's usually a, an ace pilot of some sort. Uh, the person that's usually in the Gundam is usually in there either reluctantly or is doing it to save his friends or family that happen to be in the area. Rarely is there a pilot that um, is piloting the Gundam because they were intent on doing it. Um, we see that a little bit so later. So it's always for a greater good. Always for a greater good, and usually for a selfless greater good as well, which is very Japanese at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, because with the Japanese, the whole thing is... To be selfless, to do your job, and be a part of the community. Yeah. Not to go against the pace, but to definitely to um, be an active part of your community and be a productive member of that community. 
Yeah. Um, which is something I, I really do appreciate in, in, in that in in the Japanese culture at the end of the day because you learn that very early on when you're in school. Well, and I actually actually just finished um, reading a book called uh, Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. in which they pointed to um, the Japanese tradition, some of the Japanese traditions that we saw in in the plane, the train operations, mm-hmm. where people call out, people point to, mm-hmm. and there's a a, a um, very clear way of how to do it, and it's very rigorous and repetitive, and it's everyone's on the same page. And but it but but the book talks about how that um, how many accidents that that uh, prevents, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, again, if everyone's doing the exact same thing, calling out, everyone's on the same page, communication is very important, yeah. I, th- I think, especially in any sort of work, if you don't know what the right hand is doing, the left hand won't know what to do next, or will do something completely different. And the, and the book's point is, is that repetitive habits, um, even if they're small tasks, mm-hmm. um, are uh, very powerful. Absolutely. It points to that. Um, so as we were say, as I was saying before, the Gundam was actually not popular. It actually was scheduled to be a 50-episode series. It got canceled at episode 36, and they were barely able to squeeze out three more episodes after that to okay. build out 39 episodes. Um, over the course of the next few years, they created the Gundam movies, which were basically rebroadcasts of the TV shows with some added added animation or some cleaned up animation and maybe a little bit more streamlined um, as an example char whenever he loses a fight always seems to have another prototype unit that comes around for him to use so it was almost like a monster of the week oh my goodness it's char Asimov and he's fighting a zaku commander type yeah a new zaku a new zaku yeah and now he's piling a um, uh, a Dom, he's a tiling a Dom. Yeah, he's different robots to have more yeah. stuff on there. Yeah. So, um, again, remember that Monster of the Week sort of formats were not unusual. In yeah. Monster of the Monster of the Week, basically meaning there's a new Monster of the Week. You know, it com- We think of it now as coming from Power Rangers. Yeah, so Power that's Rangers, exactly what I was. I was, or in, in Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, Mutant Ninja Turtles, where there's always a new monster somewhere. A new shredder. Yeah, it was always something new. Never the same. Um, so when they redid the three movies, they were actually extremely popular. Um, along that line as well, they actually, when the initial series came out, the other reason, um, another kind of cool bit of information here is that when they were actually developing Gundam here, the entire suit was just monochrome, was white and bl- white, gray, and black. And it wasn't until the toy line that they were developing, when they were developing in 1938, they were trying to get toys out for when the show came out, that the that the toy creators came back and said, like, you need to add some color to this. Because the, the toys would be boring looking. Yeah. yeah. That's, where you st- that's where you start to get the traditional kind of blue chest plate, the gold headband, and the red um, midsection, which are kind of staples of, Gund- of a lot of Gundam shows. Um those those are very common colors or very kind of common looks at the end of the day. Yeah. Maybe usually some variations, but usually always the arms and legs are usually always white or a singular color with maybe the heels having a bit of color to them. Um, very typical for a lot of for a lot of shows. And in fact, actually, in you know, it's actually Gunpla that saved Gundam. Actually. Oh, very good. Okay. So when the show came out back in the original 70s, they came out with toys, not very popular at all. Because, again, the show's not necessarily a more mature show, but kind of expects you to be a little bit more of a mature person to to appreciate You're going to be above the age of 10. 
Yeah, I think if, I think yeah. if you're in the teenager range, it would speak to you more. It would at okay. least be able to speak to you more. Um, and in the process of back in the day, they used to have what they called garage kits, which were, um, you know, these people who had who had loved these giant robot series making their own kits and model kits. Um, and um, eventually, there was these Gundam model kits and of all these different robots from Gundam because it was a very popular thing. And they eventually became, you know, they eventually got bought up by Bandai and the Gunpla people, and um, as a result when they came out onto the market, because it was very popular, I mean, mm-hmm. they basically sold people again on Gundam and made it very popular. When the movies did, the movies helped out quite a bit as well, which was where they got a lot of the interest to make the movies. Okay, so it's interesting to me that, that you know, model making, because my father used to make, you know, model airplanes mm-hmm. all the time, and model cars were very popular when in the 60s. And it kind of died... The whole concept of model making died um, in the 70s. So it's interesting to think that something like this brought that back. Mm-hmm. Because it used to be a big thing. Used to be, we used to have variety stores, which y- you guys will never appreciate because you don't have them anymore. We, don't, we, don't even, we barely have hobby stores. I know. We used to have variety stores that used to sell model kits with um, the glue and the paint. And, mm-hmm. and the whole concern about um, glue sniffing because yes. that... The model, the model glue would still, still the case if you go to a, if you go to a Michaels. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You have you have to be of a certain age. You can't just go out and buy you know high quality model glue. You gotta have a you have to have an ID or you have to you can only buy maybe one at a time. Time. You okay. know, come back the next day and get another one. Okay. Yeah. So so models were a, a big thing at a time, and mm-hmm. then it, it kind of died off. So interesting to think that this brought it back. I mean, when we were in Japan, we saw floors, whole whole floors of of um, stores in Akihabara that were um, dedicated to model making. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. There it was, was that a, thing. There was an entire floor and, and, and tables and tables set up so that you could do stuff while you were there. Yeah, one of the floors literally just had parts. Yeah, just had so you could make your own stuff because. Um, you're right. I remember that because I remember thinking that is just, that is just arms. Wow, just yeah. a couple different arms and legs. Yeah. Um, which is to say that um, in Japan, gunpla is very popular. Oh, where'd you get this? This was in Japan. Oh, I didn't even see you snag that. Oh no, no, this is when I got the pens for li- for for my sister. Oh, very good. Okay. But no, so there, gunpla in Japan is a very big hobby. So there's because there's a lot of different Gundam models, and people go through quite a bit of time to make their models. I know some people who will spend over a hundred hours making a model. Um, it's pretty cool. In your spare time. And this is going into, you know, elements of paint and airbrush and, you know, weathering and things like that through through the entire process. Um, I hold it with my hand with me. Uh, a magazine, which is a very popular series of magazines. This is the Gundam Carnival for 2019, which is basically uh, people who have gone through the process of making very beautiful giant robots. These are beautiful. Yeah, no, they've got they've got pictures in here of, of think creations that people have put together themselves, mm-hmm. not from kits. Well, no, there's kits in here too. Some of these are kits, but some of these are also um, people who have, um, you know. So this is an example is what they call an MS girl or mm-hmm. a mobile suit Gundam girl. Yeah. Um, somebody has gotten a female figurine and basically added on parts and elements from a Gundam onto it. Yeah. And made her, you know, have the additional 
parts and elements. We got, you know, they've got a couple other different things in here, like Ultraman, which was a big, which is a big deal in Japan. It's kind of like, um, what if Godzilla was a superhero? Oh, there you go. Um, so yeah, I got this. Yeah, th I got this mostly because I just love looking at the models. I mean, look at this. It's a Star Destroyer. That is this with all the lights and bells and whistles on it. That's probably probably cool. the size of the table here, most likely. Pretty cool. Oh, it even okay. has a little even has a little uh, runnership from the rebel from the uh, resistance. So because uh, you should. No, absolutely. Um, but no, Gundam Gunpla is a very big deal in Japan um, to the point where they've actually made spin-off shows of Gundam in that revolve around Gunpla, which is now a good time to actually speak about spin-offs in Gundam. Okay. So, in Gundam, there are two different types of Gundam shows. There is the mainline. There is the mainline Gundam universe, which is known as the Universal Century. Um, and a lot of the shows that take place in the Universal Century all will reference other series. As an example here, Gundam Unicorn references Char and the original Gundam. Um, other series in the Universal Century either take place after the war, pre-war. Uh, there's a great series. You know, when is the war? Uh, well, the, the, there's multiple wars. So the first okay. war is known as the, so the first war in 1978 or in 78 of the Universal Century is, uh, or as they sometimes call it, UC-78, okay. is known as the one-year war. Oh, as opposed to BC or, or Common Era. Yeah. So um, they call it the one-year war because in the series it lasted for about a year. Uh-huh. With the Earth side waiting over the um, Xeon side. Um, and subsequent years after that, there have been other conflicts Okay. Um, and usually those are all known under the, these are Neo-Zeon, which are, you know, the remnants after, of Zeon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not unlike the the First Order, almost, in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, these are people that want to, you know, the Earth sphere still really hates, you know, really still hates, you know, the colonies, and the colonies really hate the Earth, and tensions of fight mounting from this one-year war spread conflicts for new wars, so... They're, con they're very constant elements throughout the throughout the universal century, at least. Um, some of the major facets are that the Gundams are always from the Earth side, very rarely from the space side. Um, the space noids or the Xeons always have... Uh, their robots have a mono-eye um, element to them, so their head has like kind of a... Um, and I'll show you an example, literally, of a singular mono-eye. So this red one here I'm showing you is actually charged unit. But the oh. one, to, but the one to the right is a greener one, which is the more common sort of uh, everyday man sort of uh, zaku. Um, so, but as you can see, it's got this kind of like fish, uh, fish sort of element to it with yeah. its hoses and a single monitor eye. It's uh, got a lot of rounded parts to it in some cases. Yeah, it's, yeah, because they usually think of Gundam as being very angular. Mm -hmm. Lots of triangles, lots of sharp points. Yes. And very, very, very angular. sharp corners. Whereas and, where the Xeons are usually um, very roundish in nature in a lot of cases. So Okay. Um, There's a great way to tell. Is that, is that to draw a distinction so you can tell them apart when you're watching? Or? I, think it, I think it's more or less a stylistic choice of the series that um, you got to remember that the Gundam in itself is very samurai-esque. Okay. If you look at the skirt of the Gundam right around its legs, it very much reminds. I very much yeah, think of it as. I get it. I get of it. That. Yeah. You look at the crest on the head; is very not untypical of a crest that you might find on a samurai helmet. Yeah. Sam this even got like this little kind of like beard sort of element, which was meant for the mask, which again was meant to kind of scare, scare people. Um, 
You know, it's very reminiscent of what you might consider as samurai armor, um, which a lot of people thought it was was you know samurais in space initially. Well, you know, which is which is not a bad analogy. Yeah, yeah it, it it sounds like it's not because samurais were there for the for the greater good. Were mm-hmm. there for absolutely. I mean, that was their their intent was to be there for the for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, so speaking of the Universal Centuries, where a lot of Gundam series and a lot of fans of Gundam like the Gundam series to be in. Um, but there is another series of Gundams, which I, which are not well labeled, but I call them the spin-off Gundam series. Okay. And these spin-off series are often things that are, are Gundam-esque, but not exactly Gundam. Okay. So they're either paying homage to the Gundam unit and using it in a different in a different way, or they are trying to tell a different story, but with Gundams in some cases, or um, in some cases. They just wanted to have a fighting tournament and to have Gundams from different countries represent them. Um, and that one in particular is known as G Gundam. It's a literal professional fighting tournament where every country has their own Gundam. And they all look like their countries. Interesting. So, so the American Gundam has a looks like a football player with boxing gloves. Uh, the French one has kind of like a cape over its shoulder almost and kind of looks like it's wearing a toupee. Uh, the Mexican Gundam literally has a sombrero. Like I, I, I wish I were kidding about it, but it's but they were not. It's a little, a, it's a little stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Like they were not trying to be subtle with the different countries' Gundams. Got it. Um, and of course, the Japanese one looks very much like a samurai, or looks very much yeah. like a Gundam. All of them are Gundams. They all have their own like different variation on the crest on the head. So. Um, and the more, more later series have variations on the crest. Sometimes it's four prongs going up, or maybe it's sometimes it's got kind of a L sort of shape to it. Um, well, well, I mean, if you look in there, there's you see quite a few different styles. This one's almost got kind of like wings on it, almost like yep, like so yeah, an eagle. Yeah, eagle wings or something. Yeah, always a little bit different. Okay. Um, so that was G Gundam. Uh, we have. Uh, Gundam Wing is the one, was one of the first ones in America that we really got to see. I remember watching it on uh, Toonami when I went to my friends' houses to go watch to go watch stuff. Um, that one's kind of like what were what if the colonies created the Gundams and sent them to Earth to cause terrorism? Oh, but for this, but for the sense to that one's a I find Gundam Wing a weird series because its story is not told well because it doesn't have a very good story at the end of the day. Like, so it's just more about the battle. It feels a lot more about the battles. Like the Gundams go out and they f- go down to Earth to fight the Earth forces. Um, and they eventually get driven back up to space. But even when they're in space, they're like, the space people don't really like them. And at the end of the day, like they end up kind of joining the Earth side because the space sides are doing wrong stuff. It's it's not well defined. I think I think it's I think it's one of those stories that works well for the 90s because it wasn't very distinctive at all yeah in its story but a lot of a lot of people of my generation who watched it fell in love with that series um we have another couple series like gundam x which is basically what happens if um so to speak about gundam x actually to to talk a little bit more about the universal century here for as a tangent mm-hmm. um when the universal when so the one year war ends and Ray Amaro is um, said to have been what they call a new type, uh, which is basically the intent of the humans going into space originally. It was that 
there would be a leap in evolution by human beings that would make them better that would make them better in certain ways they'd be more so they've been genetically engineered no that just being in space for long periods of time would naturally kick up the evolution process okay um and in a way they sort of do because new types are described as being people that are um able to visualize their surroundings much better they're very much better spatially aware of everything happening around them Um, they have slightly better understanding of reflexes and are able to maybe think a little bit quicker Um, they make excellent pilots um and with the right kind of robots, they're actually able to um, have kind of a psychokinetic sort of communication with other things. So in later series, they're able to um, pilot other smaller robots um, on their own while they're fight- while they're in the Gundam doing their own stuff. So kind of able to have like a third or fourth arm moving around with them at the same time. So um, they're able to multitask. Yeah, and especially if you have like 30 some odd little drones flying around you and working with you to shoot yeah. off stuff like you have to be a um, a new type to be able to do that um, and you'll see some of that here in Gundam Unicorn in particular um, the one year war ends but a new but um, in the resulting of the one year war um, Earth uh, becomes uh, too too powerful and actually starts being rather oppressive um, and a group called Londo Bell, which was originally just a um, like a squadron of the Earth Federation's forces. Mm-hmm. Um, Londo Bell originally was just a ship and decided that we're don't we the Earth is getting too much like Xeon, which is trying to impose its will on everything, and we're going to stop them because of stuff they've done. And they get a um, now the original Gundam is way too old at this point. Um, so they get a new Gundam. Um, so this is Gundam Zeta. So the initial Gundam is not the first... They get a new Gundam that looks very much like the first one. Very much like this, except a little bit more bulkier. Um, and they go through the entire show of actually playing out, okay, the Earth won, but the Earth became kind of mean about it, and so we have to go back the in. The Earth is a bully. Yeah, the Earth, be- the Earth really does show up to be a bully, and we got to... Put it in it. Put it in its place. Okay. Um, so there's um, and actually, what's interesting about this series is that Char is actually on the good guy's side, um, but he does he goes by a completely different name and is actually hiding his identity um, throughout the course of it. So like nobody really knows that he's. People kind of have a feeling that he's there, but they can't prove it at all. Okay. So, um, he actually doesn't even wear his trademark red suit or his or pilot a red unit in this case here he pilots and actually uh very gaudy gold one um so oh so we're so we're metallic as well as uh oh yeah because i see i see metallic trim but i don't see full-on metallic there's one that's like that um um, after the ensuing battle the earth federation's forces are actually um get uh demolished and replaced with a new organization called londo bell which is um, in a sense, trying to lead a more holistic sort of efforts. They're not undeterred, unperturbed by um, Zeon's, Neo-Zeon forces at all. There's this, they come up frequently. Um, but after Gundam Zeta, um, what ends up happening here is that uh, Char Aznable decides that he's going to lead his, Neon, his Zeon people again. Um, and his intent is to... Um, He's going to launch a colony on Earth. He's going to drop it on Earth. Um, 
because the colony doesn't have anybody in it. It's a wrecked colony. It was the first colony that the Gundam came from. It's basically empty, um, but it's meant to be a um, attack on Earth that we have other colonies we can drop on you. You're not going to want to come back at us ever again. Okay, so explain to explain to me what it means to drop a colony. Because when I think of a colony, I think of sort of an outpost. So um, imagine if you so the way the colonies are designed, they're these um, they're like a giant tube with uh, solar fins on either side, kind of sticking out, and they rotate to create an artificial gravity on their own. And these colonies are basically the size of San Jose. Okay. Um, if you will. They're basically the size of our hometown here, um, but cylindrical. So, like, if you were to look above you, you would see, you know, a lake or a forest or something, you know. Okay. So they have natural elements in them to simulate Earth environment. Okay. They, and you don't have to wear a spacesuit in them. Um, again, they rotate in such a way that allows people to uh, live on there with artificial gravity, and they have other sections of it that don't ha- that are not rotating to allow for... Um, you know, flight, you know, weightless sort of uh, elements, which probably works out really well for engineering because you don't have to have a lot of muscles to pick up an engine. Yep. Or heavy machinery parts. Um, and again, it, it, if you remember, um, if you remember um, the Avengers Age of Ultron, uh-huh. Ultron's big deal is that he's going to lift up a city high enough into the air that when he dropped it, it would cause a shockwave that would kill most of humanity as a result. Yeah. And, but the Avengers are able to stop it temporarily to stop it from going too high up that it just takes out most of the town and local area around it. So minimizing... Limits, the, limits yeah. Limits, limits the, damage. the damage. Limits the collateral damage. Um, Char believes that if he... That um, his believe, believes that because he's been convinced of it here that if he... If, the, if they drop an earth... If they drop a colony onto... Um, Australia unto Australia that while it won't wipe out Australia it will wipe out enough people on Australia that the that the earthoids will not want to mess with the space noids anymore because they'll keep dropping colonies because they have like again there's and, and and what damage is done when you drop a colony well they end up do succeeding in dropping the colony and it takes out probably about a good fourth of uh, Australia not destroy like literally like they end up hitting kind of right in the center of Australia, so it wipes out a lot of the desert lands and stuff in there. Um, people actually living there is actually kind of a symbol of hope that, you know, life can continue on and that this destruction will not impede us. Kind of like how um, they rebuilt uh, one of the... T- they rebuilt a tower where the, the Twin Towers got killed, okay. got taken down in uh, 9-11. Okay. So, um, as an example here. Um, but in the conflict here, you've got Char and uh, Amuro Ray, who uh, is actually piloting this Gundam right here. Oh, cool. Okay, he's got all sorts of coal rays coming out of his head. So, um, so yeah, so he's got kind of a black kind of chest, but the fins on the back here are those things that if you pilot them with your mind, they will move out around you and shoot yeah. for you. Okay. Those are those. Um, both Char and Amuro Ray are considered lost in battle. Like, they didn't actually die. Um, Ray actually, along with a lot of other people... And, that, uh, and when you say die, okay, so the gun, does the Gundam die separately from the, the person piloting it? Well, again, the Gundam doesn't... Gundam is just a robot. It doesn't have a right. soul. It doesn't have any sort of extra right. elements. So so when we say die, are we talking about the person who pilots it? Mostly. 
Okay. I, I don't I don't reflect that the Gundam getting destroyed because there is a number of shows in which the Gundam gets so badly mangled that to repair it would be intentionally yeah. too cost effective. Yeah. Not cost effective. Yeah. But they do anyways. Um, and a lot of these Gundam shows, like the Gundam takes minimal damage. The one example I think which might be the uh, the outlier for this was uh, Iron Blooded Orphans, where the Gundam routinely gets damaged and they're having to literally put it back together with spare parts constantly well at some point you run out of spare parts though oh no but you take it off the things you destroyed okay or that you beat up you resell it um but um scavenge you scavenge yes um Amuro Ray and Char actually try to stop the colony because Amuro Ray convinces Char that um, not only is he a better pilot but that Dropping a colony won't solve anything. You'll just continue it. Um, they're both last seen trying to trying to use their their Gundam and the Sanzu, I believe it is, uh, to stop, which is the name of Char's robot, by the way. Okay. Trying to stop the colony from dropping at this point. Um, and as the colony drops, it's not seen where they go at all or what happens. So they're lot. So they're not. So it's never said that they're killed and they're widely believed to be dead but nobody knows for certain so while they're believed to be killed in action they're just um they're just mia okay so missing in action so they, they might they might reappear they might be an emperor they they, they could yeah they in theory could reappear although um it's very well understood that they won't okay um so i draw i describe and this is a literal movie for them this is char's uh, revenge okay um so now, when you talk about movie, okay, these were released for for television. Where they were released in theaters. How were theaters. they released? Really? Yeah, not a lot of Japanese, not a lot of movies get appeared on Japanese television. Um, it's actually very, it's actually somewhat uncommon that um, shows in Japan actually ever get rebroadcasted in Japan at all either. Oh, so um, you don't have reruns. No, reruns are not common in Japan. Um, there are some. It's a very popular. Why? Um, a lot of people in Japan um, who are working, for an example, like if you work at a, if you work in when a show is being run, you will never see it unless you DVR it or you record it on VHS back in the day. And so VHS swapping was very popular in the 90s. And thanks to the advent of the internet, people are now able to basically broadcast a show onto their tele onto their uh, computers, and they were able to to save it as it was running, cut out the commercials, and then put it up online for people to watch. And are they dubbed? Um, well, initially, no. That's where we get the fan dubbing community that came in the early 2000s and then eventually turned into... Um, sort of like, like fan dubbing of anime. Yeah. Well, no, that's literally what it was. It was fan dub. It was fan dubbing of okay. anime. Uh, fan subs being fan, you know, being that case. Um, dubs were far and few in between in the early days. Basically, they're only relying on more major, stu- major studios if it got licensed here... Um, because to do voice acting for it is a lot of work. Yeah. And if you're not going to make any money off of it, you know, unless you're doing it as a parody. Um, a very popular parody uh, group is called uh, Team Four Star. Um, they did they do a Dragon Ball Abridged series, which is basically their way of saying, we're reusing all the same uh, Dragon Ball footage, but we're adding new dubs into it, so it's funnier, and the characters are much different. Um in, interesting. Yeah, it's um, imagine if you will, like if you were watching Game of Thrones, uh-huh. and all of a sudden everyone was speaking French, 
but when they were speaking French, they were fu- they were somehow like mocking each other and everything being kind of cut up a little bit. Well, the French can be snarky. Oh no, absolutely. But but as an example. Okay. Um, so there, you know, Team Four Star actually takes Patreon money to uh, to make their show to make their uh, stuff, and they've actually been a number of people who've done voice acting for Team Four Star. Um, have gone on to actually get legitimate voice acting work. Okay, so just really quickly, because I actually do know Patreon, mm-hmm. um, they they also fund some knitting sites. Yes. And, and so I'm a Patreon for Knitty. Mm-hmm. I'm a couple different th- things I follow as well. Okay, so explain what it is. So pa- a lot of people aren't familiar with no, it. No, no, so uh, Patreon is a service that you can that you can get into usually it's kind of like a subscription service almost mm-hmm. um, for different creators of different stuff and so you support them through through your patreon donations which are purely donations for the most part and they're in and I know for mine it's a it's a monthly fee of like 599 um, comes from my PayPal account. yeah for mine it's a uh, five dollar it's a uh, ten dollars a month to some of my favorite uh, to sponsor yeah to my favorite sponsors for um, I think I pay like I think twenty bucks a month in total Patreons. Yeah. I have uh, two of them are like five dollars, and one of them are ten. Um, but with the, these days and days with uh, YouTube and um, different sort of stuff here, um, people that are creators of stuff, um, there's not really a market for them to get paid easily for that unless they're selling you a direct good. Right. But if you're producing a web series in which you just show videos on a web series. It might take time to produce it, to research it, and to create it in some cases, which is where Patreon comes in as a offer to, if you want to support them, this is a way to do it. And it's a way to do it without all the annoying ads. And the, I mean, um, you know, if you if you look at some podcasts that are available or or blogs that are available, um, they they'll, come. They'll do ads in the they'll middle. They'll do all of sorts it. of ads. Well, they do ads in the middle of the podcast, but they're also ads all over the page mm-hmm. that that sometimes have viruses in them. In for middle, one, yep. Um, so I don't feel like those pages are safe. But the ads are ads slow down the performance, slow down all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the, also just a, a nuisance as well because it might be a four or five minute ad in the middle of something. You know, like well, thank you for following this wrestling podcast, but. We need to talk to you about tires for your car. You should get tires for your car. <laughs> yeah. Here's 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 us talking in a way that doesn't seem natural to us. And so Patreon again for me, I find it is a great way to support the people I wanna I wanna see make more stuff. And I and the way I get this from is actually from Japanese animation. Yeah. Is that when you have um, a lot of shows back in the early 2000s, people were buying up because they didn't know what was going to be the next best thing. Yeah. When we get to the later portion of the 2000s, people started buying stuff because people were were paying for it. Um, so you'd have an American company that licensed a show, did the translations for it, maybe put out uh, dubs for it as well, which again would be expensive. Yeah. Um, but you would have people not interested in it because by the time the show aired, um, it was a year ago, Everyone watched it already. They have no interest in buying another version of it again. Um, and that was because people, and unlike myself, or not unlike myself, excuse me, would, wa- would watch the fan subs as they were coming out. And then when the show stopped airing, I didn't follow the American people that licensed it, you know, six or seven months after it stopped airing to rebroadcast or to sell DVDs here in America. Like, I, I didn't need to. I already watched it. Yeah. Well, and that's where something like Crunchyroll comes in, too. Oh, no, yeah, and, and that's why I still support Crunchyroll. 
um, even if I don't watch a lot of stuff on Crunchyroll at, to the, as of right now. Well, I've, I've maintained my, my subscription now for about a year. Yeah. It's, and, and It's one of those things where if you don't support it, people won't be able to buy it. It's why piracy is a, an issue for stuff. Yeah. Uh, because if you're not, because you know, you might spend hours and hours and hours putting your time and, and in some cases, if you're like a video game company, money into it, you know, to get a profit out at the end of the day. But if people are pirating the game, you know, then you don't see that money at all, you know, but other people get to enjoy your work. And, yeah. you know, and so again, if you want to support the people that, uh, if you want to support people to create more stuff that you enjoy, you know, sometimes if they're offering a Patreon, it's a good idea to support them with even just a small bit of money. Right. I look at Patreon as is making things economically viable that might not otherwise be. Yeah, because again, is there really a market for, um, you know, interesting patterns online? Well, in this particular, pattern? yeah. And these are these are things where it gives a chance for designers who don't, people who don't ordinarily design mm -hmm. to wet their feet by, by um, providing them for free. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know some so. people who do like art online who do like a, a comic series as art. Yeah. Um, and you you can pay, you know, one or two dollars a month to get them when they come out versus yeah. when they versus when they'll release it like a month later. Yeah. You know, for everybody to to look at. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting way. And again, I support my uh, my favorite my my favorite sketch comedy troupe loading ready run through Patreon um, because I enjoy their content and I would like to see them do more and they yeah. can't do more if we don't pay them to do it. These are for for almost a good Can't always be your side job. No, but well no, for these guys literally like for like of their cast of like 12 people in their in their crew, like half of them are paid directly by donations from loading ready for for loading ready run. Yeah. Outside of their contract work with uh Magic the Gathering and a couple other stuff here, like they're they get paid through Patreon. Yeah. So um, as an aside for Patreon, I don't think we'll need to do Patreon stuff at all. Yeah. Um, I'd be happy if people wanted to do it here, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Um, if we get big enough and we are able to start doing more stuff, um, Patreons for us might be um, helping us to go do new stuff or to invest and do new stuff or if people have recommendations, oh, you should try this, this, or this, you know, that might be a way Ro of... Road trips. Well, not necessarily even road trips, but even just like, hey, we want to try out this or something, you know. Yeah. Sometimes that takes money, and being a nerd does take some money sometimes. Yep. Uh, but We're, it, for, for now, we are self-funded. Oh, nerds. no, yeah, no. For, us, for now, I got poor, more than enough material to go for a yeah. while. Yeah. Uh, so, back, so back to Gundam. So uh, we took a nice little aside there to discuss Patreon, which I think is important. Um, as a spinoff series, Gundam X takes places. What happened if a colony dropped on Earth? And the Earth went through a nuclear winter. Oh. What was there, you know, like, you know, a couple hundred years have passed and the old robots don't, or 50 or 60 years have passed and the old robots that were fighting this war, they're not fighting a war anymore. They're rusted out. Well, not, not in some cases. Some people have, you know, retrieved them and are actually still using them to fight their own mercenary fights or their own territorial sort of stuff. Okay. Um, which is an interesting sort of series in itself. Um, you have... Uh, Turn a Gundam, which is what happened if the bad guys went back to the moon and reset the Earth to nineteen to the seventeen hundreds. Ooh! So the so the Earth gets set back to seventeen hundreds, and they're finding robots um, and using them to fight the moon people. 
who have much better superior technology. Because they've got new stuff and they understand how to use it. Oh, yeah. There's other stuff like they haven't seen it for, <coughs> in some cases, the Gundam in this series, which is very weird looking. It's, it's instead of having the V chest on its, on its head, it's got it on its chin. So is it sort of a steampunk uh, Gundam? No, no, it's it's oh. a it's a it's a full Gundam Gundam, um, oh. but it's got a mustache, so well, it's kind of no. weird. Kind of fits into the time frame. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. So, um, but no, again, they, all the robots are like robots; they just look weird. Um, we have we get to um, the one that's the most like the original Gundam series, which is mm-hmm. Gundam Seed. Um, it literally almost take it's you. You could do one for one with the original Gundam series as being very similar, um, but they do new stuff with it. So in in Gundam Seed, I believe it's the uh, Cosmic Era, mm-hmm. uh, so the CE, uh, and uh, very similar to Earth, uh, the space no- the space people, which are led by a thing called Zaft, um, not Zeon, but Zaft. They like their Z's. I do. It's a, it's a good looking. It's a good looking character. I mean, Zeta Gundam and other stuff. Um, Zaft is, has developed a mobile suit that's winning them a war against Earth because Zaft wants to be free of the Earth's control. Um, and the Earth has contracted a separate neutral colony to help them create their own mobile suits, which they've created five of them. They've created five different units for different purposes. So there's a general purpose u- unit... Uh, there's a unit that's designed to take on uh, additional armor pieces to do to fit different mission roles. Uh, there's one that's so a, a convertible unit. Yeah, um, yeah, basically like a like a switch army switch okay. army unit. Okay. You load it up with different stuff that you might need. Yeah. Um, and then you have a unit that's a kind of um, heavy hitting unit. It's got big cannons on it that fire off the do stuff. Another one that's stealthy, and then you have another one that um, transforms into a um, do a spaceship, which they call mobile armors. If it's small enough uh, to be piloted, that's no bigger than maybe a small room, that they call it an armor. Okay. Um, so, but Gundam Seed is the most similar to the original Gundam, just a different way of telling the story. Okay. But very, very similar to that. Um, we have Gundam Double O, which was what happened if we kept the main because it literally takes place in. Uh, I think 2178 AD, or 2278 AD, 200 years in the future. Mm-hmm. What if the politics of Earth changed because of solar energy and country? And so you have now blocks like North America, South America, and Japan are all as one block you have, uh, and, and Australia as one block you have. China, India, and Russia is one block, and then you have the African and European Union is another block, all having their own uh, solar solar towers or solar elevators that collect solar power. Um, what happens if they're kind of caught in a, potential, a perpetual sort of uh, warring sort of, you know, Cold War sort of element? Well, a team of people with Gundams come in to uh, stop war and make a very big point of saying, we're stopping war. Um, but but the only way to stop the war is to to wage war, right? Or for or them, yeah, you have a bigger gun. Yeah, um, these Gundams are powered by what they call uh, perpetual engines or solar furnaces. So they have okay. unlimited power. They fly. They have beam technology, which is not common. Um, it's because it creates a lot. It demands a lot of power. Um, they're more, much quicker, much more agile. They cut up their enemies like they're they're really they're really good. But 
their intention is to stop fighting on Earth and to everybody to get along with them being the perpetual bad guys with the hope that Earth will unite all as one to fight the bad guys. So the bad guy is as the Gundams, so that way the Earth will unite and hopefully not need to fight each other at all. Okay. Which interesting, is the, interesting theory. Yeah. It's, it's, I find it to be a far more interesting show than it led itself to believe because the characters, again, are the most interesting elements of it. Okay. Um, so, so okay, so the Gundam itself is just sort of dressing for the characters at some yes. point? Yeah, it's. I tend to find that the Gundams are not... Uh, Gundams are just the avatars in which for these characters to fight because as you get progressively through later seasons um, and later series, a lot of the times the Gundams are piloted by teenagers of a 15 to 18 year well, way, the, this, age range. Well, the, the series I, I watched... Yeah, the guy they, was... They were, they were... Children, literally children soldiers at one point. Yeah. Um, but in the main character probably being maybe he was 15, 16 years old. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. You know, he was, he was very, he was very child in size, sort of statured. Um, but I mean, you have uh, Gundam Seed takes place with teenagers as well. I mean, a lot of those pilots are teenagers and you get to um, Gundam Unicorn. The main pilot, I believe is like a entry level college student, maybe. Yeah is my best guess for that. Maybe a second-year college student it would be my best guess, but he certainly looks and acts like a teenager. So um, so not a lot of old people in these series. Not necessarily. The bad guys are older. The power of youth. The power of youth, yeah. Because, again, like, if you... If well, youth you, is hope. Youth, Yeah, youth is very much hope at the end of the day. Um, and so, again, if you have children, you can't really have them fighting against adults. It doesn't seem quite right. But if you have a giant robot where they're kind of on equal terms, oh. that's where you can kind of get away with it more. Oh, that's interesting. Plus, at the end of the day, at the same time, I mean, like a giant robot has the power and the hope to change the future. Well, and, and yeah. And going back to the whole samurai thing, if you can't see someone's face, you can't tell they're frightened. Nope. And you also can't tell their age, in theory. Mm-hmm. So, so at that point adults fighting children don't necessarily know that they're fighting children. Precisely, yeah. Which is helpful in this case here. Like, even in... So in Gundam, Iron Blood, and Orphan, which is... You saw one of the episodes. Uh-huh. Um, Mars is basically, like, an impoverished nation. And yeah. they've gotten to... They've, people are... People are... It's so bad that people who have children can't support their children or have their... Keep their children. So children become um, what they call, like... Um, uh, I forget what the term it is, but they call it a human waste or something like that. Yeah. Or so they're basically like child slaves. Sort of like that forever winter thing. Kind of, yeah. Um, so they're um, they're children slaves at the end of the day, and so um, in this timeline, children are fighting your wars. They're 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 put to fighting the wars because they really don't have any alternative. It's that or live on the street. Yeah. You know, and if they got siblings, you know, or people, other people they're supporting, you know, like. You know, you know, like, what are you going to do? I mean, like, you're going to become a, you know, human refuge or human waste and, um, or, and fight regardless of whether you want to or not as child labor. Yeah. Or you don't do anything else at all. You know, you just, you know, you rot away and die in the streets. Yeah. Which is very unfortunate. Um, but again, in, um, as a tangent here, again, in Iron Blood and Orphan, there's a lot of children piling the mechs against adults who don't realize they're fighting children at the end of the day. Well, because it wouldn't seem a very a cricket thing to do, to a very honorable, very well, even acceptable. In, no, but I mean, like in some series, again, like they don't, 
even Iron Brother Orphan doesn't really treat it very seriously at all. It almost treats it. Um, I mean, they treat it as you know, like it's, it's human human refuge. I think is yeah. what the term. Um, yeah. They they don't treat it. They they understand that you know this is wrong, but there's that, but there's people doing it regardless. So like, what what are they to do to stop it? Yeah. Um, but I mean, even in that show, like they get to the point at the end of the series where. You know, it's not a, you know, that's not, it's not common anymore. It still happens, but it, it's becoming less and less frequent and, co- and less common. So it's, be- it's getting better. It's getting better. So, okay. Um, so you also have uh, another interesting show called Gundam Age, um, which is interesting because it takes place over multiple generations of pilots for the same Gundam. Oh. So eventually, so eventually you have like the first, the first pilot becomes like, the father to the who becomes a father and his son takes over the piloting jobs um and then maybe the son becomes a grandfather and he has a, his next son grandson take over the the robot and he might take on another one here um it's interesting because so it was they, men- they mentor mentor but also like they become the captain of the ship or something or yeah. captain of the fleet or they become like a mentor figure um and so the entire series kind of takes place over several generations but with the same units over the same time, because somehow they just they just do that. Well, the Millennium Falcon lasted a long time. Oh, absolutely. Um, more recently, we've also had um, a series, which I mentioned earlier, which involved the gun plot itself. Okay. Um, I believe it's, it's Kona's Gundam Build Fighters. Um, what the intention of the story is, is that uh, there's a particle wave, or particles that if you... Um, that if you put it around one of these little Gundam toys, mm-hmm. it will let you pilot it in a makeshift sort of pilot cockpit, so you can fight with other people in their Gundams. Gun, gun plot at the end of the day, excuse me. Okay. Um, which is kind of fun because you get to see a lot of um, a lot of stuff that you might see here in this magazine, where you see a lot of custom built stuff, a lot of special their own unique colors or different schemes on stuff. Uh, people that have built their own Gundams that have different Cause, elements. Because, quite frankly, none of these are pink. Well, I mean, there were pink options. There was a, there was a there was a schoolgirl Gundam I considered getting at one point, um, and I know you look at me funny like that. I, I, <laughs> it's, I believe it's known as the Gundam Noble. I will pull it up here real quickly. I, I, I'm trying to envision. I mean, there in in that in that particular magazine, you have the the one uh, female Gundam. Where somebody took a model and, and mm-hmm. added uh, Gundam parts. So I kid you not. Oh, she's cute. Yes. She even fights with a ribbon. Yeah. So this is in G Gundam. She's the Switzerland Gundam, I believe. Well, she has a female stance. It's a, it's a female stance and it's a female sort of... Um, it's literally female proportions. She's literally got a bow on her chest. Yes, she does. She looks a little like like what, if you had a Sailor Moon Gundam. Yes, and the, and I have seen people who have modded have modded these Gundams to look like the Sailor Moon characters. Oh, and she's even got the long hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's got long hair. She's got heel high heels on there as well. Like oh, that's true. With and the, and if you look at high the, heel Mary Jane, and then if you look at the skirt, it's blue where the leg it yeah. transitions into. Oh, a, and the red bow. I mean, it is very very much a sort feminine of, feminine Gundam. Oh, very much a Sailor Moon sort of mm-hmm. Gundam. Oh no, yeah. So, um, I kid, I kid not when they when I when I when I mentioned that that was an option for a Gundam I wanted to get you, um, but I figured I like this. I, I like class. I like this. I like this one better because it's um, again the RX seventy eight. They've done various um, 
redos of the model itself, um, and they've done um, quite a bit of elements to it here over the time. They've made it, you know, because again, if you go back in time to um, the first generation of it here, like the very early Gundam was very, very basic. Um, this is, I mean, but, but this, I mean, he doesn't look basic. Well, no, no. He's this very red, white, and blue. No, this one doesn't. But again, the original 1978 version. See, that's... It's the same Gundam at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and, we'll, and I'll do a side by side on the on our uh, on our website for the blog. It's very cool looking. Um, I like it. Yeah, the the nineteen seventy eight version is very simplistic looking, as where they've obviously had the the benefit of time to uh, update it accordingly. Still a good looking guy. So if you remember back when we were in Tokyo, when we went yeah. to go see the Gundam statue, the unicorn yep. statue, about two about three years prior to that, this statue, this Gundam was there instead. It's same proportions. Yes. So this is the original RX seventy eight Gundam was the one that they had in the um, in the area there instead. And they changed it to the RXO. And so they changed it to the Gundam the RXO Gundam Unicorn instead, um, mostly because I think at a certain point here they realized that Gundam um, that the Gundam Unicorn they've been really trying to sell is their more flagship Gundam as of late because. Um, it just looks a lot nicer than the original Gundam series does. It has a lot of the beautiful effects of time, and they've really done a great... Sunrise has done a great job of their animation over the years. Um, Gundam Unicorn, in this case here, took place over the... Took the better part of almost five years to tell the entire uh, eight-episode series mm -hmm. because they were releasing um, short little one-hour one movies... Uh, to tell this story, which they know, which we now know as OAVs or original animation videos. Okay. Um, and so they'll release like an episode, which will be about maybe sixty to seventy minutes, give or take. That um, that they were actually able to punch up into TV shows um, years later on Crunchyroll, and they were able to tell the story um, in, in almost I want to say about thirty some odd episodes. I want to say. Because you're able to cut up about every episode into every OAV chapter into about um, two and three fourths of a, of a of an episode. Well, what's interesting about that is when we talk about um, animation from the from the uh, '80s, mm -hmm. you know, you had Ducktales and Darkwing Duck um, that used to do sort of the same thing in reverse. They used to take episodes. Mm -hmm. And craft them so that they could be assembled into a um, two-hour movie. Yes, I remember. I remember a couple of them that were originally yeah. started as movies and then um, were cut up in such a way that you could use them as TV episodes. Yeah. So, um, but no, yeah, no, they've had. Um, but no, I, I, I like the idea of Gundam Unicorn because it's nice and it looks new. It's a nice introduction to the series, but it also tells you a lot about the politics of the series as well. Without really having to know too much about the original Gundam series. I watched the original Gundam series when I was in college over the course of um, over the course of literally two days straight. You binge watched it. I binge watched it because I got invited because we as the as the uh, conservator and librarian for the anime club, we had a copy of it. And one Saturday, and over the course of a Saturday and Sunday, we hosted an event where we were just going to watch every single episode, starting at ten a, starting at 
9 a.m. in the morning until 9 o'clock in the evening. Was this in with, your in your dorm room? No, no. It was like, it was in. Our, this is where we in had our hall. club club meetings, which yeah. was in a science, which was in a which was in the science building, one of the um, lecture halls. Oh, so you had yeah. the huge projector screen and all these like stadium level seating, so you could have this large open projector. That's so cool. So yeah, so we watched it. With a with a break at one o'clock till two o'clock for people to go get lunch, and then another break at six o'clock to go get to go get, to dinner. get dinner for an hour. Um, we watched all thirty nine episodes of Gundam during that time. That's and, too cool. And again, and then again, every episode about being twenty two to twenty four minutes long, um, with the original Japanese du- with the original Japanese dub and subtitles. Um, when I say subtitles, back in the day, you if you went back in time. Used to have just green and yellow subtitles, and the reason for that being was that you had to use a machine that hard encoded onto the video, um, which was not common. Which was not a common tool that you had, so they were not, and digitally was not very common back in the day. Yeah. Um, these were, I think, circa the when we got the episodes, they were circa like 1993, 1994, and of course on VHS. And and so we're talking about talking about this happening in 2002 2003 uh 2004 2004 2004 okay. is when 2004 because we we dubbed it the we, we dubbed it Gundam weekend um and basically we're able to we did it I think in on October I want to say um I think the weekend before Halloween um as a way of getting people to come to the anime club um and uh, we didn't charge any emission, but we sold snacks. And we sold snacks um, yeah. there, um, and I think we made like two or three hundred dollars, which was enough to keep up the which was enough to keep up the dues. Yeah. So, uh, but no, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And again, so when you go to a nerd school uh, that uh, that is basically science focused, that's what happens. Well, I think all good colleges have an anime club, not well known but existing. Well, but um, you went to Cal Poly, and I went, I went to a bigger school. Yeah, so yeah. I had a slightly bigger anime club. Um, actually, there's an anime about a, an anime club. Actually, well, that's pretty cool. But it's, it takes from an interesting point of view. It takes it's it's what if Big Bang Theory was an anime show? So that's cute. Yeah, as a tangent, it's called Genshin. Uh huh. Um, and um, to preface it a little bit, in Japanese there are um, clubs which are like hardcore elements of it and then there are like study societies which are like let which are like more common clubs as we might know it so, you know okay. if you went to like a library club you're not expected to kind of like you know you can come and go when you please and you maybe you read a book or something while yeah. you're there while as in japan if you're in a club well that's what you go and do every day after school you're in the library club well you go into the library and you go and read with the club and you talk about books or if you're in the um, you're in the science club, like a, a book club on steroids. Yeah, if you're in, the, if you're like in a, um, if you're like in the tea ceremony club, like you're preparing and doing tea ceremony, and you're doing that. Um, if you're in a, if you're in the music club, then you go and you play music after school every day. Um, it's kind of as your elective, almost, if, if as it were. Um, and there's usually some rules regarding clubs in high schools. Um, when you get to college, though, club is like. Uh, bigger deal like if you're in like the if you're if you're in the like the track and field club you you're there technically for track and field you got into a scholarship for that yeah um as or if you're like in a study society you can kind of come and go as you please and it's not that important that you show up all the time like a popular one might be like 
oh, it's the outdoor uh, study society. And you yeah. go out camping every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so Genshiken is an actual um, study society, technically. Everyone there's got their own little weird quirks and habits. Like, there's the guy that's into the model making. There's the guy that uh, loves to photograph cosplayers. There's the girl that cosplays. Um, and there's a various collection of guys who do other anime stuff. Okay. They have their own kind of particular quirk. Um, and, and so this is an anime about an anime club. This is an anime about an anime, a college-level anime club. Um, okay, and yeah. one of the girls is literally Penny. But she doesn't like that her, like, she's got this really cute boyfriend, and her boyfriend's all sweet and nice with her. But he's a weird otaku, and she doesn't like that. And she literally hates having to follow him to this club, because they could be out doing stuff, they could be out having dates and everything, but no, he really wants to go to this club and talk about nerdy stuff all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, which gets in kind of funny, because eventually, in an episode... She cosplays a, so there's an in, so this is not uncommon for some anime where um, there's a heavy focus on current kind of events sort of stuff. Yeah. Sometimes there's an anime within an anime that doesn't technically ever exist except in the anime. Okay. Um. So like you always get like bits and pieces of it, and if you watch the series, you can kind of like you almost kind of want to watch the series. It's my biggest <laughs> annoyance with a with a manga called Bakuman, Bakuman, which is about making Japanese manga is that I really want to read the stories in Bakuman but they won't release it because they're not actual stories so I get it at yeah one, so at one point the well, I'd, I'd like to hear Charlie Harper's jingles oh yeah um, so at one point um, Penny the, this version of Penny in the show yeah. cosplays as a character um, and there's a guy with a camera who's actually taking upskirt shots she comes over unintentionally Stops him from doing it, but acts exactly like the character in the show, and everyone just loves her for it. And she's just yeah. not having any of it the entire day, until she does this unrealizing she did it just like the character, and then everyone just loves her afterwards. Yeah. So, um, but as an aside, um, but no, again, Gundam in itself is a great series. You have to realize what I think what, when I when I think about Gundam, I don't think of it in the sense that. The Gundams are the highlight of the show. The Gundams are just the vehicle, literal vehicles for telling the show. That if these were samurai, that they could be very much samurai at the end of the day. And that they're not about the giant robots at the end of the day. They're actually about the characters, why they're piloting these units at the end of the day. Which is very much... Which, the, is, which is what I got from the one I watched. Mm -hmm. Was that it was really about the personalities of they the... Were, they were piloting them, yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, the, the interactions around that. And Gundam, especially in the Universal Century, is very much about this one-year war and everyone's everyone's hurt feelings over it. Everyone who either lost somebody in the war or um, friends that died in the war or fighting to, you know, damn, those Xeon, you know, or those Earth Earthnoids, you know, so forth. Like, it's, it's interesting in that aspect because, again, and the characters are just driving the series but they're not driving the war. Okay. So, um, and so we do have homework this weekend. Okay. Or when we have time. So, I'm going to give you, um, if you have access to Crunchyroll or Netflix, I you can watch Gundam Unicorn. Um, now, the version on Nef on Netflix is the original OA, ver OA, OA version of the series. Uh -huh. It's um, eight or nine OA, OAV episodes, and they take place... 
Um, if you were to binge watch the entire thing, it would probably take you about a couple days to watch it. It's like watching episodes of Game of Thrones. You could binge watch it in yeah. a single day, but it'd be a long bit. Yeah. Because I've done it before. <laughs> for both series. Whoa. Um, okay. But, um... So you can watch it on Netflix as the original uh, as the original OAV version. Uh-huh. On Crunchyroll, they have a version of it, which is the uh, version that they animate that they released for uh, TV. So if you want to watch it on Crunchyroll, you can watch it for free on Crunchyroll, or with a premium subscription, which you can get for free for the first fourteen days. You can do you can watch it just um, as a, in its TV format. Now it follows okay. the exact same way it does in the OAV version. There's a little bit of elements of slightly. There's some change pacing and some little bit of change scenes and some new animation. Not a lot to differentiate. So okay. not so like there's not any I won't notice it. There's not any stonking differences. Okay. There's no Han shot first. Okay. So um, it's the best way to do that here. You we're not gonna have you watch the entire series, but the first um, two OAVs or the first, I believe it's six to seven episodes of the series is enough to give you an idea of what Gundam okay. Unicorn would be about. Okay. Um, and I think it's a good, and I think it's a fair amount of work, uh, of material, because it, it'll, it, it, you'll watch it and you'll understand what it's about at the end of the day. You'll understand that the, there's these two sides and what's going on, and you'll just enjoy the visuals of everything happening in it in general. It'll be cool because I saw the big one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be, so that's what we're doing here this week. We're doing Gundam. We'll review it. Uh, we'll do the review of some of the episode. Uh, here next week, and if my mom happens to watch more of it, even even cooler, we'll have more to talk about. Yeah. Um, but the week after that, we're actually going to go back into one of my mom's favorite things she liked from 2019. Oh! So we'll talk about that next time when it comes up here in two weeks. Uh, but then we're also, again, we have these models here, so we're going to build those here at, at one point here. Yeah. So um, as the Gundam story continues, we'll have stuff to do. Very good. Excellent. So... Uh, we're going to have all the notes and different thing in different photos and stuff I showed mom on our website at the Nerd Tutorial Podcast. Are, are we going to are we, are we post the uh, the Unicorn Gundam that we we videoed? Yes, we can put that on there as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll put we'll put the Unicorn Gundam that we visited in person, which was really cool. We got to see we got to see it, it uh, come so al- cool. come alive. Um, so we'll post that online at our website at nerdtutorialpodcast.com. You can follow the discussion, uh, continue with us in the discussion at facebook.com forward slash nerdtutorialpodcast, or visit us on Twitter at nerd underscore tutorial, and you can give us ideas, critiques, or future ideas for topics. We're always looking for other new great topics, because again, there's so many nerdy stuff. Yep. Um, but, on beha- but thank you so much for listening to us, and on behalf of myself and my mom, we'll see you guys again next time. Bye. Bye.